Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Physique Development Podcast. Today we're continuing our five-part series all about program design. Today's episode three or part three of that series talking all about training frequency and training splits. So to start off each of these episodes, essentially we're, we're reviewing definitions. So don't feel like you have to memorize all this stuff. Uh, just kind of stick with us, grasp the main concepts, and you'll be good uh, from there. And then be sure to ask questions if you still have them by the end. So this is going to help us move through that episode and each episode and, and start putting some of this stuff into application. So let's dive into part three. So what is training frequency and how does this play into my training split? So training frequency represents how many times in a week you are training. But more specifically, it can represent how often you are training a given muscle group in that week. So for the sake of this episode, we're going to stick with the main point of covering training frequency as it relates to how many times we are training a given muscle group per week. And that'll kind of get us out of the clouds and, and more into the weeds here and a little bit more specific with this information. Okay. So how many how many times are we training a given muscle group per week? That's the training frequency definition that we're going to work off of. So for example, if you train your hamstrings on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you would be training the hamstrings with a frequency of three times per week. Pretty simple. Since there's a determined number of sets that you have to perform per muscle group per week to gain muscle or strength, which we covered these in part one and two of this series, then training more days per week gives you increasingly more freedom with how you split up your workouts. Okay, so here are two reasons why this is the case. So number one, you can train each muscle group more frequently with a fewer number of sets per day when you're training five times per week versus only three times per week, right? So if we have more days per week to spread out that training volume or those exercises or muscle groups that we're training, we have more freedom to split those up, right? So five days versus three days, drastically different and starts to change things as far as how you have to organize that. Number two, you can have more days of recovery between sessions for specific muscle groups, but more sets for that muscle group per session, which has shown to be more effective for building muscle and strength, right? So more recovery between sessions is another benefit of training more times per week alongside more freedom in which how we're spreading those things out, right? So two things that kind of can give you some insight of how training frequency can change depending on how many days per week that we're training. So ultimately training intensity and training volume play the most important roles in gaining strength and muscle when compared to something like training frequency, right? So we can think of training frequency as being more directly tied to volume and intensity. As one changes, the others are impacted or need to be adapted to manage your training performance and recovery across the training week. So in the context of program design, training frequency acts mainly as an organization tool for how to best split up your training volume and intensity per muscle group across the week. So within the research that we you know, currently have as a, I guess, an industry here, when training volume is matched, training a muscle group more than one time per week is going to be most effective right, has shown to be more effective uh, to train two to three times per week per muscle group. Uh, but this will be dependent on how much training time you have each week. So if you can only be in the gym three times per week, as we said, right, you're going to have to start to 
adapt things to best fit that. But if you have five or six days, for example. So again, if you only have two to three times per week to train, or if you have five or six days per week to train, depending on how many days you're training throughout that week, that will determine your training frequency and will ultimately uh, impact your training split and what that will look like. Okay. So this mainly comes from the fact that there seems to also be a threshold on training performance per session with higher training volumes or intensity, right? So we can only sort of at a certain point within those sessions, your quality will start to decline. And so will the effectiveness of that training volume or training intensity, right? So to quickly recap a few things before we jump into the rest of this episode from past episodes, essentially talking about volume and intensity, this will kind of help this information coming up. will kind of help you into the, the next parts of the episode. If you haven't listened to episodes one and two yet. Okay. So for strength goals, training intensity is the more potent stimulus for gaining strength. Okay. That's an important point for muscle growth goals, training volume with higher levels of effort seems to be the most potent stimulus for gaining muscle. Okay. So training frequency is the tools for organizing the specific needs for an individual for training intensity and volume across the week, right? So that kind of gives you an introduction into this topic, an introduction into kind of what we're going to be touching on more specifically in the rest of the episode as we get into the application segments of this episode. So I'm going to open up the floor here to Alex and Sue, uh, and I'm going to pose the first question to Alex. Uh, so how much does training age play into someone's ability to train with heavier loads or volumes more frequently throughout the week? And what other factors maybe play into that uh, ability to recover uh, from that volume or uh, intensity and how frequently they're training? Excellent. So it, it is going to play a, a very large role in terms of the frequency that they're able to train and the volume within each session. So when we look at this, it is going to be a matter of maybe a newer lifter is going to have less volume per session, but is going to be training that tissue more frequently. The reason being for this is that the ability to stabilize the tissue and the fatigue onset that that individual is going to experience as they continue with multiple sets of singular exercises. Think of yourself as uh, maybe you're, you're wanting to squat and as a new trainee, you're in a position where that third or fourth set that you're performing of that squat pretty challenging just to, to stabilize and go through the movement pattern, not even load dependent. It's just the accumulation of that volume is becoming potentially too much. Whereas the individual who has a greater training age is going to be able to withstand and stabilize and endure that level of loading multiple times throughout a session, as well as multiple times throughout the week. So the training age is going to play a, a pretty big role in how we structure the training. Yeah. And one interesting thing about that is if you um, kind of dive into what Alex just said there of like, okay, a newer trainee might not be able to do it as frequently and might be or will be doing it more frequently because they can't stabilize or whatever it may be. If we look on the flip side of that and then apply that also to volume, it's going to be something where someone that's more advanced is going to be able to um, contract their muscles more intensely. So they might need less volume or less frequency because they can have that contraction. And so that's something important to look at when you are looking at training age is how well someone can execute and contract that musculature because that's going to be over 
overwhelming when you are the person programming of truly understanding how much frequency does this person need? How much volume does this person need? What does this look like in the grand scheme? It really comes from mapping it out and knowing that client and being able to discern um, the difference between those two. Right. And I think that the recovery question and that component is going to be a large part of how we go about the program design as a whole. And so the first thing is going to be dietary intake. Is the individual in a uh, dietary surplus or are they in a deficit? What is their goal there? How long have they been at that intake? How are their, How is their digestion? How is their sleep quality and, and, and quantity? How is their stress? And stress is going to come from it's multifactorial in terms of life stress and work stress and stress that we're placing on ourselves within the training itself. And obviously another component is going to be mindset and emotions that play into the overall recovery. It's going to be a smaller component than what we spoke on, but those things are going to be very important of like uh, in, in conjunction with the stress that the person is experiencing. Yeah. And then some other things to look at is like their digestion. So that could even be clumped into stress of their stress on their system from their digestion, looking at water intake um, as well, because those obviously all go into recovery. And that's why we were talking about them in that <laughs> about recovery. But so much of your recovery depends on how much you can train, which I think people don't take that into consideration. They look at training as separate from the rest of their life. When training is a stress on your body, even if it is stress relieving for you, which I know for Alex Austin and I, it's all something where we can really be in tune with ourselves. We can kind of escape for a little bit. It's an outlet. It's great. We love it. But we are still also very understanding that it is a stress on our body. And if you take into account what other life stressors you have going on, that's also going to depend on, okay, what can I recover from within this training? Maybe someone can handle that higher volume or frequency, but maybe in a time of their life where they have a lot more stress, they have to lower that. And you as a coach or as a coach for yourself or as a client need to understand when those times are of, okay, I, I need to say, hey, my stress is really high right now, or I need to recognize that person's stress is really high. We might need to bring them down from their threshold of training frequency or volume because of that aspect. So recovery is going to be huge within everything that we're talking about within program design. Um, I know it seems very complex and it, it is at the base of it pretty complex, but the more that you get these reps in of like practicing it and going through it and working with clients and experimenting, that's where you're going to see you growing as a, as a coach within program design or growing within your skills of program design. Yeah, those are both great points. And I actually heard uh, Eric Helms mention a metaphor the other day about this. And essentially, you know, kind of just 30,000 foot view of program design, it kind of starts out as a game of checkers and progresses over time into a game of chess, right? So it's the same playing board, uh, you know, pieces look a little bit different. Obviously in checkers, you can only make a move in certain directions and that's it. But in chess, you can start to move pieces around and have a lot of different variables at play and, you know, progressively get more zoned in towards that finish line uh, or towards understanding this information. So I thought that was a great metaphor. Um, and it kind of gives you an insight into how simple it starts out for all of us from a person just in the gym training to a person who starts to coach clients and program for clients this is something that evolves over time. And a, a lot of pressure that I know we all put on ourselves at, at some point is, well, I have to have it all figured out right now. 
and I have to be perfect with it and I can't make mistakes. And, you know, what if I program this wrong? And to be honest, there's a lot of it that is really cool. There's a lot of it that's very nuanced. There's a lot of it that can make the training experience that much better for the client if you really understand this stuff. But at the end of the day, the fact that your client is in the gym training, they're training hard, they're challenging themselves, they're doing it, you know, at least one, two, three, four times a week. That's good in and of itself, right? So try not to get too bogged down by this uh, information. So wanted to mention that. Um, and also, I thought that was a pretty cool metaphor by by Helms. But Sue, this question's for you. In terms of training splits, right? So we kind of come off the conversation of, you know, recovery being an important factor within your training frequency and how much volume you can do per training session. So in terms of the training split, how we're organizing those muscle groups throughout the week, how do we start to decide someone's training split and how that's going to look like across the week? Yeah, I think a lot of people come to us and they think, oh, I need to be training five or six days a week. And oftentimes, as we've talked about in past episodes, we normally knock them down within training days because we really want to hammer down other aspects within their foundation to make sure that we have that vetted out. But the biggest thing is looking at first how many days they're even able to train. So maybe they are able to train five or six days. That's great to know how many are able to train. Now I want to look at how much makes sense to train. Um, once I get a better feel, of, I mean, our onboarding document is pretty in-depth. And so we're able to get a feel for, hey, what's your job? What does that schedule look like? Are you taking care of other people? How much support do you you have um, and knowing what that looks like so we can really start to hammer out um, and we go into stress and sleep quality and those recovery aspects in that onboarding document. So then we can say, hey, I know you're able to train five days a week, but I want to actually start with three or four days. And then from there, it's looking at, okay, from their recovery, from their onboarding document, what do we need to do? Do we need it to be lower volume or frequency because they've been beating themselves up or they can't recover from it? Um, and so once I've figured out that, then I can kind of dive into, all right, what do they need to change within their physique, whether they have like a glaring um, issue that might need to be fixed right away, or if it's something of like, oh, I want to add more glutes or more delts or work on my abdomen tissue, getting to know what that is for them, as well as taking our eyes of, hey, we've been doing this for a while. We can see in someone's physique, hey, you're going to need a little bit more muscle on your um, chest to balance out with your back, make sure you're posture is all good to go, as well as like adding some chest work is going to really help with your delts and your fullness up top. So we can also give our opinion there. Um, and I know that Alex has some great insight on this as well. Yeah. And I think from a, a competitor side, I see two extremes. So one will be that they're only training the intended muscle group that they're wanting to improve. So let's use glutes from a bikini perspective. They're maybe only training glutes once per week, but they're trying to jam in like 20 to 30 sets of glute training into one session. And so in that context, if someone's coming to me from there, we just want to spread that out a little bit better pick out the movements that are going to be more effective within their, their training as a whole and, and have greater frequency to that. Now, they're on the on the flip side of that, a competitor may come and they are training glutes five days a week with, I mean, hellacious levels of overall volume. At that point, we're going to be taking, taking things down. The frequency may stay higher, maybe three times a week. It's certainly not going to be five times a week. I can, I can promise you mm -hmm. uh, that we're not going to have you training the exact same muscle group 
every single day. Uh, but in that context, so it's going to be more of a meet them where they're at, as Sue alluded to, and, and allow for us to uh, navigate to a place of greater efficiency within the quality of the repetitions that they're getting, as well as their recoverability uh, within the training is going to be a big piece because more often than not, clients are going to be coming to us in a place that they're not able to recover. They're in a place where they are constantly sore and they're like, I don't understand why I'm not improving. And they've just got this uh, high level of volume. And there's like, I'm doing everything that I can, but in reality, they're doing potentially too much or too little. And, and we are able to use the onboarding document, use our processes within program design that we're speaking on now to allow for us to have um, very good success with them. Yeah. And also somewhat taking what they enjoy into consideration, not always is what they enjoy going to be exactly what's best for them in that moment, but being able to take that into consideration, um, or if there's a movement they really enjoy of being able to have that in, or if they have some cool equipment at their gym where it's like, man, I never get to program with this. Let's freaking do it. Um, we'll do something like that as well. Yeah. Cause I, I think that we are coming from a place of optimal, right? But we also have a balance in which we want to have enjoyment because if we're only going with what's optimal and perfect in textbook, at that point, we're going to see potentially resentment and lack of enjoyment and just being bored and, and lack of adherence. Whereas if we can balance the two, have a greater percentage of the training be optimal with a little bit of, of the enjoyment, uh, we can see greater success relative to just doing just the textbook. And we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I've programmed in that fashion, just textbook totally. And it has not panned out in our fashion, um, really ever. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's really a tell too that you can have a lot of success within the gym without really any structure, right? So the fact that you have structure <clears throat> in and of itself is something that can help you out, especially over the long term and keep you progressing, right? Which is such a big part of program design, periodization, all of these things that we talk about not only within this series, but within this podcast as a whole. And again, <clears throat> I find it important to kind of mention this little uh, caveat here that we are very much talking about physique development goals, right? We're talking about goals of physique development, people who want to improve their physique, improve their body composition, build some muscle, build some strength, things like that. Um, because some of these factors do change as you kind of enter the strength conditioning world or the powerlifting world or the Olympic lifting world or anything like that, right? So understand that these things we're talking about, especially in this series, are really kind of geared towards people that have physique development-based goals uh, and just want to look look better naked. Um, <clears throat> so Alex, to kind of expand on what you were talking about uh, just a few minutes ago, does training frequency differ per muscle group, right? So obviously we're going to organize things a little differently. Um, across the training week, depending on how many days per week we have to train, but let's say we have plenty and do you program and, and Sue kind of alluded to this too, but do you program things differently per muscle group across the week? Uh, and again, does this depend on their goals? Yeah, I, I think that it certainly does. And um, especially within our bikini competitors, we're going to have a greater bias towards delts and, and glutes specifically, and, and probably upper back, upper chest. Um, those are going to be very biased tissues. So we're going to see greater frequency within those specific muscle groups within their specific goals. Um, but I will also say just in general, when we're looking at um, training frequency per muscle group, it, it is going to be something where I can probably train biceps a little bit more 
frequently, then I would be able to train lats or, or chest or larger muscle groups where it, it's not going to be as much of a uh, systemic fatigue or, or full body um, exertion, if you will. If like, I'm going to be able to train a cable bicep curl more frequently than I would be able to barbell back squat. I think that that's an easy way to look at things. So it is going to differ per muscle group there, but it is also going to be individual in the concept of you will find as you program for clients over time that they may have greater endurance within specific muscle groups. And then you're going to be able to tailor that specifically to them and see greater strides for them specifically. But that's going to be a matter of data collection as you're programming for that specific client. Yeah, and we talked about that same concept in the past two episodes in regards to what it looks like for your output for an exercise as well, where within a barbell back squat, it is using multiple body parts as well as your legs are a very large body part. Um, and so you're using stabilization throughout your whole body. There's a lot of secondary muscles working there versus that bicep curl where it's a lot less taxing on your body. The output isn't as high. Um, so that's going to be something for that volume versus frequency um, and how that all pans out. But kind of like Alex talked about a little bit earlier of, hey, we might train glutes multiple times per week. Um, we're not going to do it five days per week, but we might have it in there for three or so times in a week. And that's something that um, I remember the first time that that was kind of in my programming, it was for shoulders. And that's going to be a little bit of learning about the client and figuring out what's best for them. Um, it was something that we did a trial of, hey, if we train delts more frequently and we do a little bit less per day, are you seeing better progress there? Or is it something of if we really hammer down on two days, um, can you push yourself and have that output? which circles back around to what we were saying. If you're a beginner client, you might not be able to truly have that output for if you're only training it one or two times per week because of the amount of volume that is going to be needed, you might not be able to stabilize or handle that volume or have the endurance to do so. And so truly being able to kind of take a look at where you are as a trainee, where you are as um, your execution, and then where you can recover from as well as keeping notes on that endurance, like Alex said, of if you can or can't handle that for a certain muscle group, or maybe you have more endurance within another muscle group. Um, so it really comes down to not only as a client um, or as a person who is training, being honest with yourself about how you're truly performing. That's going to be the hugest thing because if you're training yourself, you you need to be honest with yourself. If you're training with a coach, you need to be very honest with where your recovery is at, where your execution, where your endurance is at so that they can continue to get better at programming for you. Yes, some coaches are going to hit it out of the park the first time, um, but that could be a coincidence to a certain degree because again, you as an individual are going to be so complex and it's going to be really important to get that feedback because we don't know how you feel on a day-to-day -day basis. So I can tell you, just speaking on my own personal experience, the longer I've worked with Alex, the better at programming he's get gotten from me, as well as the better at feedback I've given to him in regards to my progress and how I'm feeling so that we can actually make the changes that need to be made without training. I'm not just a yes man. I'm not sitting here being 
like, yep, whatever you say. I'm very honest of, hey, this was too much volume. I felt like I couldn't recover from this. And knowing that I checked the other boxes as well. I'm not sitting there saying, oh, I'm sore. It was too much. If I didn't eat my food that day, if I didn't get my sleep in, if I didn't drink my water, all those other aspects. So it's something that you as a client or as a trainee have a responsibility to be open and honest so that you can get better programming um, because your coach has a better understanding of what that looks like. And I will say before you jump into adding more frequency that you ensure that your execution is in a good place. Like if you are seeing lackluster progress in a specific muscle group, don't just immediately be like, okay, I need more. I need more volume. I need more frequency. Take a look and really analyze your execution within move and movements. Make sure that your RPE is in a place that is going to be elicit growth. Your food is in a place like all the things that we talked about from a recoverable perspective, focus on those things before you just jump in and like, okay, I need to make this adjustment. This is the, the kick. It's like you could be the stuff that you already know and the things that you already have in place may just need to be better rather than changing things necessarily. Right. <clears throat> those are all adjustments that it does help to have a coach, uh, but those are all adjustments that get easier to make as you progress as well. Right. So if those are decisions that seem a little daunting at the moment, <clears throat> those do and those do get easier and easier to make as you get going. So so to kind of finish off this segment of the episode, I, I, without getting too much into the weeds here, do the exercises that we're choosing to perform. So our exercise selection, uh, does that change uh, for you based off of the frequency? Does that change for you based off of how many days per week someone has to train? Uh, how are you making those decisions from an exercise selection standpoint? Yeah, it's, it's very much so going to change um, across all of those. So let's go ahead and take how many days someone has to train um, or even just looking at their equipment availability. I know that we ran into this a lot when people were training from home and people would say, oh, I have just a barbell or I have just dumbbells. Um, and especially with just that barbell, they're doing a lot of spinal loading. So we have to change around the exercise execution or the exercise selection, my apologies. We have to change around the exercise selection because we need to keep that variable in mind. And then we also need to keep in mind, all right, how are we taxing the system and what does that look like for their ability to recover? Um, and then even taking into consideration the exercise selection, kind of just what I just talked about, but I'll give an example that goes, um, instead of saying a, a back squat versus a curl, which is a great example, but looking at training the same muscle group, a lying leg curl is going to tra train the uh, hamstrings in a lengthened position. Then if we look at a barbell bent knee RDL, again, is going to change the hamstrings in a lengthened position. Then let's go ahead and take a leg press that is going to be more hip dominant. That's going to be training the glutes and the hamstrings in a lengthened position. Um, all three of those could theoretically be interchanged, but all three of those have a different impact because of the amount of output or and or stabilization that you might need. Um, and this is something that Alex really taught me is just not just looking, hey, this exercise can swap for this exercise or, oh, this is a hamstring exercise. I can just do another hamstring exercise because that's not the case. It's let's look of, okay, this barbell exercise, I'm going to have to have a lot more stabilization than this lying leg curl where I'm completely locked into a machine. But also the leg press is going to be less stabilization than the barbell. Um, so keeping all of those things in mind is going to be great. But 
Um, that that's something that you do need to consider instead of just saying, oh, this is a hamstring exercise or this is a bicep exercise. Your exercise selection goes into all of this. All of these, as you can tell, as we kind of each episode talk back and we're like, but you have to also consider this. It's us talking about like they, they all come together and they all affect one another. And so the more that you can understand each one, the easier it's going to be. And the fact that you're not sitting there being like, all right, how does this affect everything else? You have that understanding, you have that foundation, and then you're able to make those decisions like Austin and Alex said a lot more quickly. Yeah. And I think that what Sue was speaking to with the shortened and mid-length and, and, uh, lengthened work as a whole is going to be more of like the the 201 course to all this so we can really dig into that in, in greater detail for you guys if that's what you want um, but i will say that at training at home was a really good example of this for everyone because they realized like oh my gosh this is not as simply interchangeable as i thought i can't mm -hmm. be training with this level of frequency as i did when i had all the equipment at my la fitness or uh, lifetime what have you and so it was a, a situation where okay i went from training five days a week where I now I only have a barbell and maybe 25 pound dumbbells. Now it's probably going to be in my best interest to do full body three times a week. And I'm just training uh, less uh, total volume per muscle group per session. So in that context and what Sue brought up within the barbell RDL, um, training the hamstrings and also the lying leg curl, there's going to be a different specificity to that. And you're going to be able to train the lying hamstring curl much more frequently than you would be able to within the RDL. And like I said, we can get into the weeds of that in future podcasts mm -hmm. within the, the 201 type course of this, but um, certainly the, the exercise selection is going to make a difference. Yeah. You see how, <clears throat> you see how the game of checkers quickly becomes a game of chess. Uh, very quickly as you as you start to progress through this this conversation and again if it's daunting just take a step back understand the main concepts right i just want to re kind of reiterate that because this is something we all get bogged down with i mean still to this day there's some nuances and detail within the more advanced stuff that we all get bogged down with within this conversation and then learning this information it's it's very easy to get bogged down right so understand the main concepts understand that Training volume matters. Training intensity matters. The frequency at which you're organizing that stuff matters, right? How you're, how are, how are you utilizing that volume and intensity, and how frequently are, are you doing it? And then, for example, in episode four, our next episode, we're going to talk more detailed about exercise selection, so we can make a lot more, uh, a lot more detailed overviews of the, that information as a whole. So, be prepared for that. And be sure to tune into that uh, following this one, but. I want to start here with Alex. So this is the segment where we look back at our first programs that we did and you know, that we most likely wrote ourselves or picked up from a muscle magazine or <laughs> whatever. Um, oh, yeah. So Alex, what did your first programs look like in terms of training frequency? Oh my gosh. So with training frequency, there was a, a season of time where Austin and I um, performed like training arms, I think every day at like high volumes. And and so there was seasons in which, yeah, <laughs> we was, we went through seasons of squatting every day, which was not fun. Um, we went through seasons of training arms every day and it was kind of like, it was what we thought was going to work. We were eating copious amounts of, of carbs and thought that we could recover within 
less than a 24 hour window, essentially. Um, <laughs> so we were superhuman in that context. So early on, it was a, a situation where a lot of my training was, was centered around like, I love training so much and I'm just going to train as much as I possibly can. And I'm going to leave the gym after two hours of being here completely spent. And I did absolutely every movement that I possibly knew. And I just left. So, and, and as we, we moved on, then it kind of turned into the flip side of that. And it moved to like, okay, I'm a bodybuilder and I'm going to train six days a week and I'm only going to train one muscle group per session. So I, I, I mean, on the front of frequency, I have been all over the map. I've kind of touched every corner, if you will. <laughs> and, uh, I've, I found a, a central point that is much more manageable for my lifestyle now and much more successful than any of those corners that I've, I've touched previously. Yeah. And before I go in, I think that it's going to be a really helpful kind of sidestep for you saying, I've found what works for me now. What have you had to change since your workload and lifestyle has changed? Oh, yeah. Um, and I know we have talked about in past episodes of like the level of activity we talked about in his fitness journey episode um, of t one prep to the next of how active he was to becoming more stationary, but now having more life stress and work stress, how has that changed how you have to train? It's changed a lot. Um, some days I say, unfortunately, and some <laughs> days it's it's for a good thing uh, that the the times have changed. Uh, but I would say that it has caused me to have more efficient training sessions and has led me to a point where uh, within our coaching as well, it, it has helped that because I have a better understanding of, of movements that are going to get more bang for their buck in those different factors, as well as my education being furthered in that process as well. But I would say that it has my recoverability is something I have to focus on a whole heck of a lot more um, and have to be much more uh, like have more of an initiative and being more mindful and like in the previous moments in which I'm talking about uh, within like training every day, it was something that was kind of just like a it's going to happen almost organically. I'm eating such a large amount of food. I, I'm not eating six, 700 carbs a day any longer. That's not <laughs> part of my life at this point. I can't imagine um, consuming that much food on a day-to-day oh -day basis. Gosh, that was um, but yeah. Yeah. And I would also say, just like you said, with as an efficiency within training of we used to go to the gym and be at the gym for like two, three hours. And I know him in Austin would literally get there at like 10, work out till like 1 a.m., then meet back at 5 a.m. Um, so we have all three of us gotten a lot more efficient. I don't think that there's a training phase um, that I've been in the gym over an hour and a half. And if I do, I start complaining about it. I'm like, listen, I got stuff to do. Um, but as far as mistakes that I made, I mean, it circles back to um, what I've talked about in the past of I, one, was just throwing stuff on paper. I was not tallying anything. I wasn't taking into consideration how much volume, frequency, or any of that. I was just like, hey, this is either a split I found online, or this is something of I want to train back and arms today. Let me write down all the back and arm exercises that I like to do or can do. Um, but the other aspect is not tracking my recovery and not tracking some of these different biofeedback metrics. And that's going to be one of the hugest things that's allowed me to see progress um, within the past few years, even more so, is because I've hammered down on I track all my variables. I know what nights I've gotten sleep, what nights I don't. And in my training log, which a training log is another thing that I didn't really keep good track of that, um, where I was able to say, hey, 
either today I'm mentally not feeling good. Today I have low energy. I had poor sleep last night. My digestion's feeling off. Or going into this session, I've eaten this meal and this meal. Now I know, hey, I might need a little bit more food in me next time I train. I have intra carbs in. These are my um, exercises. Then I have notes of um, this exercise felt really good, like stay at this weight, or this felt really good, go up next week. Um, or being able to say this felt a little bit off, like try again next week. So those notes and really keeping track of those metrics has helped me so much, but that was a huge mistake I made starting off was not tracking any of that, just going in the gym, doing the workout and leaving, and then thinking I could also mentally keep track of every single exercise and how much weight I did for each exercise, even if the stimulus changed. I thought I had it all memorized, which is not the case. So um, those were pretty big mistakes I made starting off. Yeah, I think we, you know, we're always kind of an echo chamber within this segment. And because we all, I think we all sort of gravitate towards certain mistakes, right? And I wouldn't even call them mistakes as much as lessons because, and that mm -hmm. sounds cliche, like, okay, <laughs> chill out, man. But all in all, I, I think they are lessons more than they are mistakes because I do think it's important to experience those things, understand what works for you because we are all very indiv individualistic, right? That was a tough word to say. So we're, we're all individuals. Um, and what works for me may not work for you. Again, like Alex and I's training very much started out, you know, for years, the exact same, right? And now we've evolved to train similar, but differently, right? And we both respond differently to certain things between the three of us, you know, one of us can squat more frequently, but less volume per session than the others. And there's differences within everybody, regardless of your uh, abilities. And then as your abilities start to evolve, those differences become a little bit more obvious. And I, I think they become easier to manipulate, right? Whether for yourself or if you are a coach and manipulating stuff for clients. But at the end of the day, you have to be trying things. And, and I think this is the most important part of having skin in the game, of being a person who actually trains, right? Like not only just maybe goes to the gym one time, one time per week or like once a month and they're like, I tried a new exercise or like film stuff for social media, like have some skin in the game, especially if you're a coach and try new things or figure out what does work for you and how these other variables that we've been talking about throughout the series and in this episode actually start to play in not only to your training, but to training as a whole, the experience, how you feel, how you recover, uh, all of those things. And, and also, you know, okay, my back is fresh, but my biceps are still toast from that crazy arm day that I had. So that is now going to impact my back training, right? So there's all these variables. And again, we kind of allude to that metaphor of like, you quickly see how a game of checkers becomes a game of chess, right? And that evolves over time. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think these are more lessons than mistakes. And I, I to finish my my thought here on on this segment, like again, these are we've all evolved within this conversation. So the three of us have evolved to become physique focused, more bodybuilding focused. Uh, individuals, right? And Alex and I, I know Alex and I's training started out more sports specific, 
um, a lot more hybrid in the terms of our goals. And they had a lot, they had more Olympic weightlifting focused movements in them versus more bodybuilding focused movements. And so the frequency of that training started to change and evolve. And then the more physique focused we got, things started to make a lot more sense of what variables did we need to change for our goals, right? So these aren't blanket statements. Um, there's a lot of nuance within these topics, but it is important to identify what are those goals and how do I use these tools of program design to actually start making more executive decisions, more intelligent decisions. But that's sort of what I had. And I think a lot of times we look at it as um, not necessarily a mistake, like Austin said, but I know sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I implemented that sooner, but you don't know what you don't know. And maybe if I would have known that sooner or I implemented it, it wouldn't have been the right time for me. So also understanding what that looks like in your grand journey of how you're able to work, progress, how you're able to see progression. And I'm so thankful for every step of the way, even if there's things I wish I would have done differently at the end of the day. I'm able to look back and see, hey, I've learned so much over this time frame, and I've been able to really finally get in tune with me. And that's so cool. After five years of training, or more years, I can't do math, <laughs> more than five years of training, I've been able to learn more about myself as well as about training. And now I feel so in tune and training feels so much smoother than it's ever felt. And I'm so thankful for the times that it didn't feel that way to truly be able to appreciate how training feels now and how I'm able to um, like utilize all of these things that we're talking about. So I think it's really important that you brought that up, Austin, that they aren't all mistakes. It is a part of learning and it's a part of what that journey looks like for you. And it's going to change over time and you are going to make some actual blatant mistakes, but you're going to learn from those too and to be able to progress as a trainer or a trainee. Any closing thoughts here, Alex, before we recap today's episode? I don't think so. I would just add that um, <clears throat> putting your feet to the fire and and getting in the trenches is going to be the best way to figure all this out. And you can listen to these podcasts and those different factors and just kind of piece things together. But it's going to be a matter of getting in there and, and giving things a chance to see what works. Yeah, I think it's a great, great point. And again, like half skin in the game, put your feet to the fire. Uh, and as you're learning, there's no better, from my own experience I can speak from, there has been there hasn't been a better method of learning than putting the things that I'm learning, let's say in a classroom or on a podcast or in a course, but actually putting that into action, utilizing that information in real time as I'm learning it, that helps it stick, right? That helps it make sense because you can understand all this stuff, you know, from a 30,000 foot view or theoretically understand the concepts, but to theoretically under this, understand the concepts without the application of that information and how that could differ, not only for you, but per individual or per client, um, you know, are separate things. So as you're learning this information- Don't be afraid to use yourself as a test dummy. I know we all do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So let's recap today's episode. Let's cap it off. I appreciate all your guys' time. So to, we're gonna recap this episode like we do uh, for all of these uh, series, episodes. So training frequency represents how many times in a week you are training, but more specifically in the things we talked about in this episode, it can represent how often you are training a given muscle group per week, right? So ultimately 
training intensity and training volume are most important in terms of the aspects of program design in gaining strength and gaining muscle when compared to training frequency. So we can think of training frequency as being more directly tied to volume and intensity. Think of it as sort of that cousin you're cool with, right? So as one changes, the others are impacted or need to be adapted to manage training performance and recovery across your training week or weeks. So in the context of program design, training frequency acts mainly as an organizational tool for how to best split up your training volume and intensity per muscle group across the weeks, right? So do the exercises I'm choosing to perform change depending on my specific training goals? We're going to answer that in the next episode, which is going to be episode four of this program design 101 series. And that's going to be all about exercise selection. But I'd be remiss if I didn't open the floor up to Sue one last time to talk about our band tees. Yeah. So if you've been listening to the other episodes, you've heard this, but um, we love the podcast and we want to be able to give you guys a discount on the Banties. We have mostly the champion shirt left, and that is going to be something that if you use the code PDPOD, you will go ahead and get 10% off of that. If you do the bundle of two shirts, a discount is already applied. Um, so go ahead and use the code PDPOD, get yourself a band tee, um, rep PD everywhere you go. And hopefully um, if you do get a champion shirt we might see you on some of those tour dates on the back as we head into show season here coming up so a reminder that those shirts are great for backstage and they're just great for everyday wear um they they're great in general <laughs> that's all nice. i gotta say <laughs> great shirt <laughs> all right guys great we will see you in the next one thanks for listening peace out bye hey guys austin here thank you again for listening into the episode means a lot if you can please head over to apple Podcasts and leave the podcast a five-star review this does help us grow and be found by others also just wanted to mention if you guys are interested in free education based around training and nutrition be sure to check out physiquedevelopment.com backslash free education where you will find free downloads videos articles etc no strings attached again thank you chat soon